and Ethics Equals Integrity podcast featuring Barry Dunn, healthcare practice group professionals, and expert guests discussing their insights into healthcare regulatory and general compliance, revenue integrity, and risk management topics. I am Olga Gross-Balzano, a senior manager at Barry Dunn. I am joined for this episode by Barry Dunn's Healthcare Compliance and Credential and Practice Group Senior Manager and Director of Credential and Service, Krista Bernakia. In this episode, we will address a broad range of compliance activities that are critical, but often overlooked or unknown to our clients. Before we go, um, before we get into the discussion, a quick disclaimer. The content we discuss in this podcast is based on our professional experience, advising healthcare providers, facilities, and other organizations engaged in Barry Dunn for credential and support and revenue optimization services. While we may reference specific government programs, Medicare and Medicaid policies, and regulatory guidance, we do not speak for CMS, HHS OCR, HHS OIG, DOJ, or any other government agency or contractor, nor do we have the authority to do so. Nothing in this podcast should be considered legal advice. Anyone seeking legal advice on the subjects we discuss should consult their own attorney. Thank you for taking the time to join the podcast, Krista. Before we jump into our discussion, would you share a bit about your professional background and the type of work you do? Gladly, Olga. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm Krista Bernakia, a Senior Manager and Director of Credentialing here at Barry Dunn. I lead a team of credentialing professionals and I'm responsible for the overall vision of the credentialing division, including our firm's NCQAs, Credentials Verification Organization, aka CVO, certification, a distinction that I'm proud to say we've maintained for nearly seven years. At our core, we are a compliance-driven consulting group. That's the focus of each engagement, and our NCQA certification is one such example of the stringent quality standards that we follow and uphold every day in all of the work that we do for every client engagement. It's an underlying thread that spans work across all of our service lines. We have five in all. They are enrollment, primary source verification, also known as PSV, privileging, ongoing exclusion monitoring, and consulting activities. That spans advisory services, policy development, and uh, go no-go valuations. If, if there is something that can be done in the credentialing and enrollment arena, we've probably done it or know someone who has. Um, my ex expertise and experience was acquired over two decades in the industry. I've had stints at a major university-based HMO, as well as a marketplace insurance carrier. I've managed everything from medical staff offices, accreditation and quality improvement activities, joint commission and NCQA alike, policy development, emergency operations, and special projects. I'm passionate about building and sustaining relationships, educating key stakeholders, 
providing guidance to our clients and partnering with them to support their mission. If my work helps a client get their patients seen quicker and with a high quality, which in turn gets their revenue flowing sooner, I feel like I've had a good day. Quite impressive. Thank you for sharing. So today, we wanted to have a broader discussion on some topics that concern credentialing, compliance, and operations alike. During the past couple of years, the COVID public health emergency has certainly shifted our focus away from credentialing. And while the state of emergency has been extended at this point, at least through mid-January, some compliance and operations waivers are being terminated or coming to their end. States have begun returning to pre-COVID requirements for initial in-state licensure and license renewals and continuing professional education requirements. We start getting questions from our clients on the roadmap to successful compliance and I wonder if you would mind sharing some of your thoughts on what's happening in the industry from the compliance perspective. Absolutely, Olga. I'm so glad to hear that our clients want to be successful in their credentialing and compliance areas. We are here to help them do just that. There's quite a few trends in healthcare. There, there always are. But, but specifically, I want to address three global trends that we're seeing irregardless of the provider or organization type. The first one is around staff turnover. We've seen staffing and resources be of, of crucial concern to our clients over the last couple of years during the public health emergency. Um, staff turnover leads to a loss of an organization's history on compliance and credentialing initiatives. I would encourage our listeners to ask themselves how their practice or how their institution conducts and tracks initial credentialing and privileging activities. Has that process been modified due to staffing changes or telecommuting? We know the remote workforce has had a huge impact on operations across the board. So that is something that organizations really need to be mindful of. Are your organizations using technology to stay organized? Credentialing and privileging requirements set by major national accrediting bodies, such as the NCQA or the Joint Commission, commonly known as TJC, you know, they these have not changed during the COVID public health emergency. Um, so organizations really need to make sure that if they carry one of these banners, they are staying on top of all of the standards and elements that they are bound to meet. I would encourage our listeners to ask how frequently their practice or institution is checking for excluded individuals. Are you reviewing resources such as the list of excluded individuals and entities, commonly known as the LEIE, and your state Medicaid exclusions database, to be sure that you're not employing anyone who is excluded from participating in federal or state programs. The second area that I wanna talk a little bit about today, Olga, is around the significant increase in locums and contract labor. We know that contract labor and locums have their own set of compliance dynamics, but in the last couple of years, 
particularly with the public health emergency, the utilization of these types of providers has increased tremendously, particularly across organizations that are in multiple states and providers who are licensed in multiple states and cross state lines. There are some critically important steps that should be taken in advance when hospitals and ambulatory care organizations are considering whether or not to engage contracted per diem or locum tenens physicians to step in for another clinician who's on leave or maybe left the practice. It's important to understand what it really means to have a provider stand in the shoes of another provider. We know CMS has a lot to say about a lot of things in our industry, and this is one area where they have a tremendous amount of guidance um, in this particular matter. I would encourage our listeners to start by checking their state licensure requirements and their state Medicaid agency's rules pertaining to locum tenant arrangements and, and anybody crossing state lines. If your organization has sites in more than one state, don't forget to check all relevant jurisdictions too. We have a common saying here in the healthcare compliance and credentialing group. If you've seen one state's scope of practice requirements, you've seen one state's scope of practice requirements. Nothing is cookie cutter. There is much variation and there are so many states, so many variations. We have a platter of over 50 different items on, you know, on display at any given time. And, and then some, um, you know, and, and the last trend that we see is around CMS and state Medicaid agencies, how they've slowed down their revalidation process over the last couple of years during the public health emergency. Those revalidations are now starting to pick back up. These state Medicaid agencies and CMS are capturing providers who should have been revalidated during the public health emergency. And that's colliding with those providers who are coming due based on the anniversary of their original enrollment date. So, so Olga, as, as you can see, there's a lot of factors out there that our listeners really want to be mindful of as they continue down this journey. Yes, my goodness. So those sound like very big challenges. All three of those. You know, I want to ask you about something of great importance to almost all healthcare providers, Medicare and Medicaid enrollment um, and revalidations. Recently, I learned that one of my clients had errors on their Medicare revalidation and they did not know how to fix them. And you know, what's bigger concern um, is that I'm not that sure they understood the implications of not completing that task timely and accurately. Any thoughts on that, Krista? Definitely. Olga, you're spot on. This is a common theme and a common occurrence that we hear from clients all the time. It's also why we named the episode of this podcast, Timing is Everything. Timeliness considerations are incredibly crucial, regardless of whether you're dealing with CMS or a state Medicaid agency. Every action has a window of opportunity in which an organization is obligated to notify 
CMS, and the state Medicaid agencies. A few examples of these um, reporting items are Medicare change of ownership or any other update that's going to change the management structure or point of contact for a group or even an individual provider's record. Um, it's important to report changes and or updates to Medicaid, the MCOs, and private commercial payers as soon as they happen or as soon as somebody in the organization becomes aware of them. Um, it's also important to stay out in front of deadlines for any action that begins with the letters RE, re-credentialing, revalidation, so that providers remain active to keep taking the excellent care of all of our listeners' patients, which we know at the end of the day is their ultimate goal. So, so I would be, um, you know, be remiss if I didn't encourage our, our listeners and our clients to look at their Medicare revalidations, their Medicaid revalidations, and even private commercial carrier revalidations. These are at cycles that range everywhere from three to five years. No two providers are on the same cycle and no two payers have the same cycle. So there's a tremendous amount of variation. You know, and, and I want to um, offer, offer a little bit of color and an example of how clients struggle with this. We once worked with an organization who had quite a bit of internal turnover, did not receive notification from CMS due to outdated contact information on file and missed a key deadline to revalidate their DME enrollment. You can imagine the havoc that created within the organization and all of the challenges that that posed. My team worked with this client and CMS to correct the necessary information in the DMA record and also work to restore their privileges without interruption to their patients. So, so it's, it's vitally important to make sure that everybody has the finger on the pulse of when these come due for revalidation or any other type of re-enrollment work some great tips and great suggestions and i'm sure the client was very thankful um, for your help with that process you know um krista i feel like some of these areas are so important and um, some of the tips and best practices maybe provide the type specific what i'm thinking is um, skilled nursing facility and hospital would probably have very different priorities and strategies. And I wonder where our listeners could get more information. Is that something you could provide us a little more insight into? Absolutely. You're so right, Olga. Provider type is important. Here at Barry Dunn, we've started developing other podcast episodes with a more narrowly defined focus, such as tying off on federally qualified health centers, their need for payer enrollment, what makes health systems unique. Every client that we work with has their own unique set of circumstances and criteria. So we wanna make sure that we're providing tools, resources, and educational opportunities for all of the various types of entities and providers that we work with. This is only the beginning. I would encourage our listeners and clients to stay tuned for more podcasts that are gonna follow in our sub-series. Um, and, and while those are, are being developed and, and coming down the pike, 
I would also encourage everybody to take a look at our website. There's a lot of really good information on our page. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of questions and situations, because they're so specific to each organization and provider type, a phone call, an email, a direct conversation with myself or a member of my team might just be the best approach. We are here. We love to be able to have the dialogue and develop those connections. So I would encourage anybody listening to this podcast to reach out to anybody on my team and begin the conversation. That's a lot and that's very helpful. I hope our listeners uh, find some very good solutions to what they have to deal with. As we wrap up our conversation, Krista, what are the most important key takeaways for our listeners? I have a few key takeaways that I'd like to leave folks with today. When talking about credentialing, understand what is required based on your organization the accrediting body that you work with, as well as your individual state requirements. Know what your due dates are to have something that your team can work towards. Seemingly simple forms often take a lot longer to complete than somebody may anticipate, so build time into the process. Keep copies of everything that is submitted. I'm going to say that again. Keep copies of everything that is submitted. Very often, whether it goes electronically or those, those payer spaces that still want something on paper, and unfortunately, they still exist, it's really vital to make sure you hang on to anything that you've done because chances are you may ask to be sub asked to submit it again or show proof that it was, it was, uh, put into the universe. Um, I would also suggest that our listeners be mindful of the technology that they're using to support the credentialing process. Know how your organization accesses information. Know what portals you work with. Know who is able to update those, keep access, keep passwords. Stay on top of anything that gets submitted to respond to requests in a timely manner. And it's also a great idea to reach out to a trusted advisor like myself and my team who are experts on the subject and can guide you through this incredibly complicated process. It does sound like a complicated process. And I learned keep copies of everything submitted electronically or on paper. <laughs> As we um, come to conclusion of our conversation, I want to thank you, Krista, for sharing your insights with me and our listeners. On behalf of myself and Krista, we thank you, our listeners, for listening to this episode of Very Dumb's Healthcare Insights Compliance Plus Ethics Equals Integrity podcast. We welcome your questions and feedback about the ideas we discussed in this episode, as well as suggestions for topics we should consider developing for future episodes. Thank you. Thank you.